with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. I want to preach today under this title, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. What to do when you don't know what to do. Has anybody ever been in the place where you don't know what to do? I have been there, and I just want to talk about what to do when we don't know what to do. And uh, uh, that's the title of the sermon. It's kind of a mouthful, uh, but... Jehoshaphat, uh, if you're not familiar with him, was a king. And he was a king in the time when Israel was split into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom, you had the southern kingdom. In scripture, they're often referred to as Israel or Judah. And so if you're reading and you see the king of Israel, and then you read a little bit later, you see the king of Judah, uh, there were two kingdoms and Israel was split. And Jehoshaphat, uh, serving during this time as the king of Judah, is credited with some, some godly things. He, he did some positive things in Judah. He brought some reforms, some godly reforms to that kingdom. The first thing he did is he set judges to rule for the Lord in people's cases. Whenever people had a legal dispute, they would use the law of the Lord to determine what was to be done. Uh, the other thing that he did is he appointed Levites and priests to lead the people according to God's law and to teach the law to the people because Judah and Israel as a whole had come through a time period where there was just a lawlessness. They weren't following what God had wanted them to follow. And so Jehoshaphat, he restored some of those things. The other thing he did is he turned the people away from idolatry. He turned them away from idolatry and back towards serving God. But at the same time that Jehoshaphat uh, did these wonderful things, these godly things, there were some things that he did that were failures in some regard because the Lord said on several occasions through a prophet that he was going to judge Jehoshaphat because Jehoshaphat aligned himself with wicked kings. Notably, King Ahab, who was just in the northern kingdom, uh, was very, very against God. And even though Jehoshaphat was trying to do right and trying to institute some things, he still had some failures. He aligned himself with some of the wicked kings of the world who were opposed to God, opposed to God's rule. So various times God sent prophets to Jehoshaphat to deliver a message of judgment. But every time that God said he would bring judgment upon Jehoshaphat and upon his, uh, Judah, Jehoshaphat, we notice, responded with fasting and prayer. And this should be encouraging because how many of us fail? I know that I fail. There are times that I do some things right, and there are other times where I do things that do not please God. But even with that, the idea is that you can always move God with fasting and prayer. You can always get right with God. You can always turn back to God in repentance. And Jehoshaphat would do that. As soon as one of these messages came, Jehoshaphat would begin to pray and he would turn the people toward God. And God always kind of held back his judgment off of Jehoshaphat. One of those times was in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And the verse we read, it details how three nations aligned themselves against 
Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. And these three nations coming together, combining, this was going to be the judgment of God coming on Jehoshaphat and on Judah. And there were overwhelming odds. It was was an impossible situation. And it was going to be impossible for Judah to escape. One enemy alone would, would be a challenge. One enemy alone would be more than enough to overcome them because recently King Ahab had died. God finally caught up to King Ahab and had him slain in battle even though King Ahab had tried to hide himself. And so the, the wicked king that they had aligned themselves with in the north, he's dead. There's no longer this ally there to help stand against enemies. And so this little kingdom of Judah is all of a sudden left unprotected, and God is orchestrating this judgment to come on Israel or Judah. They have... These enemies show up in such great number. They have no allies to come to your aid. This was a treacherous time. It was a scary time. It was terrifying. So the people and the relationships that Jehoshaphat had nurtured and that the people of Judah had been depending on, all of a sudden, those strong relationships had let them down. And they found themselves isolated. They found themselves no longer able to trust the people they had been trusting on for help. They all of a sudden found themselves in a place where they, the earthly things that they had leaned on could not support them. You see, in challenging times, God will allow things in this world that we've trusted to be taken from us. And that's exactly where they find themselves. And a prophet comes and says, this is what's going to happen. These enemies are going to come. They're going to attack you. But Second Chronicles 25 records Jehoshaphat's response. It was one of those repentance moments. It says, then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, the house of the Lord, before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, Are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to stand withstand you? And you are not, are you not our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it, and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? 
For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And the next scripture says that he led the people, all of the men, the women, the children, to pray and to cry out to God. Notice what he says. He says the multitude is coming. We are powerless. We don't know what to do. We don't have anywhere else to turn. All the things we've been trusting in, they're failing us. All the things we've been relying on, they're not there any longer. And we have found that we are in a position without power and we don't know what to do. What should we do? We don't have anyone else to turn to. And aren't you thankful that our God is a saving God? That he's not a God who just abandons us in our worst moment, even whenever that moment is brought about because maybe we weren't living as we should have been. Maybe we weren't doing what we should have been doing. Maybe life just brought some things to us, but God is not just going to hang back and let you out to dry because God is in the saving business. He saves, he saves, he saves. So he saves Jehoshaphat and Judah from these invaders. And if you go and you read the entire story, he saves all of them from these soldiers, these invaders, without the army even having to fight. The Lord sets a trap for these enemies, and when they came to the battle, what ends up happening is they turn on one another and slew each other until not even a single soldier was left. There was no one for Jehoshaphat and Judah to fight against. They didn't even have to fight one single soldier. But I could focus on preaching about the victory. And we love that. We love preaching about the victory. But I want to draw your attention to some important things in God's response to Jehoshaphat after he had prayed. It's recorded for us in 2 Chronicles 20, 14 through 17. We'll read it together real quick. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen all of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. Now we're going to keep reading, but there are two times that the Lord tells them in this little passage, do not be afraid or dismayed. He says, don't fear. In the Hebrew word for dismayed, what it means is it means don't be prostrate. And to be prostrate means to lay down with your face in the ground. He says, don't lay down. Don't be afraid and don't lay down. But see, that's what happens sometimes when we get afraid and we're full of fear in certain situations. We lay down. We stop trying to fight, we stop trying to struggle, and we just lay down and say, well, if this is how it's going to be, then I'm just going to lay down right here and just receive whatever comes my way. But the Lord tells them, 
Don't fear and don't lay down. Don't give up. Don't surrender. You hold on to hope. You hold on to faith. And you stand back and you watch. Because the battle's not yours. We find ourselves over a year, a season of uncertainty, a season of uncertainty, and we find ourselves with a lot of fear surrounding us. And I've talked with a lot of people. What I hear over and over is fear. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be some concern. But what I am saying is when concern shifts from a place of concern to a place of fear, fear will cause you to lay down. You'll say, what's the point in trying? Fear will cause you to depend more on the flesh than you will on God. Because it was in a time of fear that Abraham lied. And he said, no, she's not my wife. She's my sister. It was in a time of fear that Saul hid himself in a tent instead of facing Goliath that was an enemy that God had already delivered to the children of Israel. But Saul hid himself when he should have been in battle. It was in fear that Peter denied Jesus. Because fear will cause you to act opposite to the way that God wants you to act. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The only acceptable fear that you should have within you is the fear of the Lord. That's the only acceptable fear. I'm not talking about moments of fear, but I am talking about getting a hold on fear and saying, you know what, God is in control. Because what happens, if you fear the Lord, it'll cause you to act for righteousness, it'll cause you to act for His good pleasure, it'll cause you to act to please Him. But if you act in fear, trying to reserve your own life and save your own life, what you end up doing is you act in ways that make you depend on flesh. Notice what he says, the battle is not yours, but God's. You see, every battle that comes into your life is not your battle. Some battles are. Some battles very much are. And God says, you go fight that, and I'm going to be with you. But there are some battles that are not. And I found oftentimes is the battles that I find myself in that I have no control over, that I can't do anything to fix, and I've done everything that I can within my own power and my own self. Those battles are not my battles to fight. They're the Lord's battles. And I do much better when I surrender them to him. Part of that is understanding where God is at in your battle. You have to understand where God is at in your battle. Verse 16 says, Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness. He says, You go down. Tomorrow you show up. I can remember one time in school, one of the first fights I ever got into. And uh, I was nervous. I was scared. I'll be honest, I was scared. Of course, at the time, I didn't realize I was so large. Or I wouldn't have been quite as scared. I'm aware now, like there's an intimidation factor 
that I shouldn't have been so scared. But, you know, when you're unexperienced in, in fighting, uh, there's a little bit of fear. And I, I remember a friend of mine, and we were probably in junior high, a friend of mine said, well, what are you going to do? He'd never been in a fight either. He said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to at least show up. <laughs> I'm going to at least show up. Because I, I didn't want the name attached to me to like, oh, he chickened out. Well, I'm at least, if I get a beating, I'm at least going to show up for the beating. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to show up. I'm not afraid before it happens. Although I was terrified. What I found, though, is sometimes what God wants is if you'll just show up, God will show up. If you'll just show up, God will show up. And the next thing he says in the next verse, he says, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. There he is again. He's saying, don't fear and don't lay down. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. He says, position yourselves. And this is what I have found over and over that if I will understand where God is at in my battle and I will position myself according to where he wants me positioned. And sometimes what that means is that means repenting. Sometimes that means putting myself in a spiritual state. Sometimes it means putting myself through some fasting and through some prayer and doing some extra things that maybe I have not been doing or maybe I've allowed to get lax because life has been coming at me and I position myself. Get in the right place where God wants you. Get spiritually right. Then all you have to do is stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You see, stand still. He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But standing still feels like doing nothing. Standing still feels like I'm not doing anything. But sometimes standing still is all you need to do. Because standing gives you the ability to move when God says move. Notice what he says. He says, don't fear and don't be dismayed. Don't lay down. But when you get there, you position yourself and you stand still. He doesn't say sit down on the sideline. He doesn't say lay down. He doesn't say anything. He says you stand and when you're standing, you watch the salvation of the Lord. Standing gives you the ability to move when God says move. Right now, many if not most of us are in a season of standing still. And I want to tell you, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord and stand still. You say, well, I'm not doing anything. And you're asking the question, what do I do? Do I do this? Do I take the right path? Do I take the left path? What, which way do I go? What decision do I make? When you don't know what to do, you need to stand still. When you don't know anything else to do, when you feel like you're powerless, when you've done everything you can do, and now you're saying, we're powerless, and I don't know what to do, stand still. Don't do anything except position yourself with the Lord. Get closer to him. Draw closer to me, and I will draw closer to you. God met every one of the concerns that Jehoshaphat prayed. 
He said, we're powerless, Lord. The Lord said, don't fear. Don't be dismayed. Don't lay down. This is my battle, not yours. So immediately, if it's the Lord's battle, he's powerful. Who's more powerful than the Lord? No one. We know that God is able to defeat the enemies. And so stand and trust him. We don't know what to do, Lord. We don't know how we should go out there. He says, you go and position yourself and stand still. Just stand still. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? Position yourself with God and stand still. I want to encourage someone today. Maybe you find yourself in a powerless position. Maybe you find yourself confused. Maybe you're facing more enemies now than you've ever felt prior to this day in your life. And you're asking God, what do I do? I've done everything I can. Now I'm powerless. All the things I've trusted to this moment that have gotten me to here, they failed me. I don't know what to do. The Lord's saying to you today, get a grip on your fear. Don't be dismayed. I haven't left you. And what you're fighting is maybe not yours. I want you to position yourself and stand still. Trust in the Lord and see his salvation. Why don't we take a moment and seek the face of the Lord? I feel the Spirit of God here right now. He's speaking to someone who's been facing some over overwhelming odds. You've been facing some confusion times and decisions. Right now is the time to lean into the Lord and trust Him. Position yourself with Him and stand still. God, I pray that you would touch touch the situation, God. We're putting our trust in you because we have nowhere else to turn to. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. God will never